Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Trish, I'm going to tell you a happy, sad, succulent story. Succulent <laughs> as in plant story. Um, okay. And then you're going to advise me. Okay. Be ready, because I, this I, is a bit like gardener's question oh time. Goodness. It doesn't awful lot riding on this and you know how I am about gardening oh, anyway. serious very serious anyway. go on our lovely neighbor in Cornwall where we have been for a few weeks Nick has lost his wife Jane she sadly died Aww. of cancer two weeks ago now they were married for 48 years and since she died he's been giving tours of her garden which is a very lovely thing to do and telling her story keeping her memory alive so I went up for a little tour had a lovely tour with Nick he always mm. wears odd socks odd socks like <laughs> I call him Jane was very no nonsense so she won't want any sadness around here she's a teacher and I can hear her bossing me in my head when I left Oddsock Nick gave me a tiny cutting succulent and he said this is one of the last cuttings Jane did in the greenhouse I've got to keep it alive at all costs Trish And it's rather like my cooking, where I think I might kill people sometimes with the cooking. This I've got to actually keep alive as well. What do you know about succulents? Not a lot. I'm hopeless. I've got toxic fingers rather than green fingers. I'm going to say... about your gardening? I know. It's terrible, though. Rubbish. But I think... Fake Trish or something. I thought you were... I give it a go. I give it a go. I'm just not very good. I'm trying. I'm trying. So I say keep it somewhere where you can see it every day, so you can just keep a little eye on it. Don't overwater it. Keep it in the sunlight. And then just, if it's not going well, give it to somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. I can't give Jane away. It's it's not Jane. Jane. It's not Jane. Jane. It's, It's a lovely memory of Jane. And she would be very happy for you to give it to somebody else, I think. To take care of it properly. Yes. Can you do that with children and dogs? (laughs) Hello. Hello. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Lorraine Candy. I'm Trish Halpin, and we're on a mission to help you make the most of your magnificent midlife. We'll be tackling everything from mind and body wellness to HRT and your sex drive. Lorraine and I are here to help you have a stylish second act and answer all your midlife questions on fashion, beauty, careers, relationships, family, and as always, the challenges and joys of parenting teens. Drum roll, please, because we have been reunited or recoupled, if you're a Love Island fan, like Thelma and Louise, Cagney and Lacey, Patsy and Eddie, mm-hmm. Little and Large. <laughs> The menopausal Morecambe and Wise are back recording together after a mini podcast sabbatical. This is our first recording since our summer break. I hope you've missed us while we've been away having some midlife adventures. And I hope you've had some adventures yourself, dear listeners. Um, Mm -hmm. Are your creative juices flowing? (laughs) my tiny friend well after our little sabbatical as a matter of fact they are i feel reborn in fact with a new enthusiasm for the autumn ahead which is good because we certainly have some big plans for the next few months with postcards from midlife today's show is a fabulous way to head into the new term as we like to call it and um, i'm really excited about our guest because we've managed to persuade our wonderful friend the campaigning superwoman that is sarah brown to talk us through her midlife journey as well as what she's been up to as chair of the global children's charity their world yes well we've known sarah for many years through our work on magazines and as journalists and we've been a big supporter of their world it's a charity really close to both mine and trisha's hearts because it focuses on educating girls and women worldwide it's been changing lives for many many years and i'm really proud to be involved and we thought you our listeners would like to hear a bit more about their work given how compassionate and empathetic you all are what else are we going to be discussing though trish two of our favorite things sleep and telly 
Our jibber jabber today is all about how TV creatives are finally starting to give women in midlife a voice. And we'll be discussing a show which gave me such a sharp intake of breath. I, I had to kind of text you immediately, didn't I? And say, have you seen this program? Yes, yes, you did. Um, and I know the show and many others like it have made us feel, what's that millennial word? seen we feel seen don't we We do at last so stay tuned for that and after our interview with sarah we'll be tackling sleep in how to win at midlife you found a way haven't you of getting better sleep without going to bed which i think is quite amazing yes. and i've been in pursuit of a brain tingle in order to get to sleep <laughs> which has been quite good fun usually if i open a bottle of gin within 10 miles of you, your brain tingles trish <laughs> but i think this might be slightly more helpful anyway let's get on with the show Reviewers called this series astonishing, gripping, powerful and extraordinary. And when Trish and I watched it separately, it took both our breaths away. We were speechless and uh, we've been dying to discuss this Mm. on the show. I really hope most of you have seen it already because we're talking about Channel 4's I Am Victoria and I Am Maria. These two performances felt like something of a turning point for Gen X women on television. Uh, Siran Jones starred as Victoria, Leslie Manville as Maria in the show created by Dominic Savage. The actresses portrayed women so many of us can identify with, women we don't often see on TV or in films, women on the brink of transition, I think. I think that's the best way to describe Hmm. it. Trish, tell me which bit of I Am Victoria resonated with you. Oh, well, it's just one hour, isn't it? That It's just one perfect hour of television just telling this snapshot of a story about this woman's drive for perfectionism. She's sort of at the younger end of midlife, I think early 40s. She's got two young kids. She's married. She's got a career. She's got the perfect house. But the pressure she puts herself under, you just feel like she's tipping towards yeah. kind of the brink, doesn't she? And falling over into some kind of a breakdown or Very meltdown. And you're just watching. literally on the edge of your seat and holding your breath while watching it because it's also it's filmed in kind of close-up so you see her face her expressions these fake smiles she's putting on all the time it's sort of it's so tense I, I just and also I just related to so much of it in my kind of early 40s perimenopausal years of of feeling like that I really identified with it and I know you I think too. it's like when you pull someone's put their hand in your brain and pulled out conversations and feelings that you've been having mm. just put them on front of you in telly and it was it was just kind of extraordinary that moment when Victoria is saying to her husband who keeps coming in because she's got up really early she's done her exercise she's got her list done she's got to do a bit of work she just needs she just needs one more hour she just needs yeah. one more hour before she goes back into family time and I've said that when I've been kind of on the brink so many times mm. I, ju- I just need 10 more minutes just leave me alone for 10 more minutes and it was so uncomfortable to watch and I think with Maria who was older the Leslie Manville character at the other end of the, in her 60s who you know not to spoil it for anyone I'm sure everyone's watching who leaves her husband because mm. it's just not enough she's reached a point mm. where it's just not enough and there's a fabulous sex scene in it as well with her and a much younger man and I think for me it was about the unmet needs of midlife yes. women yes. which has never been shown before really mm. in this kind of depth on television mm. and it felt very powerful it's part of a wider trend though isn't it yeah but I think it's this thing about just to go back to the Leslie Manville I love she, she says I might not be 20 or 30 but I am in my prime and I am not going to waste these years I don't feel remotely old I feel fit alive and so full of potential I won't let it be because I've got a lot to give and I just thought oh my god that's kind of how women feel at this age and, and generally we're yeah. just sort of you know certainly on TV just shoved into these sort of matriarchal motherly roles once we get over 45 so as you say it's just brilliant to start seeing some of this but I was kind of looking into this and actually there's a study in the US last year which shows that women in general take up 38% of on-screen time in television but for women over 50 there's only 8% and and if you think about they're like a huge percentage of the population but they're just not being seen on TV so we're hoping that this is the start of 
Well, the something. commissioning editors are men. That's yes, why the people yeah. at the top, the money people, it's all men. And the lens they see us through is the lens we is a narrative we've slightly played into ourselves as well. That we, mm-hmm. you know, that, that we aren't visible, that we do feel like this. But actually, this kind of magnificent midlife feeling, it's like um Kate Winslet in, in Mayor of Easttown, yeah. isn't it? They asked her the people working on the show if she wanted to hide her belly during that sex Mm -hmm. scene and she said why not I'm 45 that's what women at 45 look like Mm -hmm. so we're kind of used to hiding it and yeah we're invisible and we're used to hiding ourselves when we do become visible so it feels like there's a real turning point the average age of the viewer female viewer of the BBC is 61 so it's pretty unforgivable (laughs) that we haven't been able to see ourselves on on television but we're still referencing Shirley Valentine yeah. as midlife oh, woman, which was yeah. over yeah. 20 years ago. Um, yeah. The other place I've noticed this is, have you watched White Lotus? I haven't, not yet, but it's on my list. You've, you've obviously given it a go. Given I it a have whirl. given it a go. So Jen Coolidge, who's one of the stars of White Lotus, um, she's 60 and her character, absolutely crazy. And obviously it's about sort of crazy people <laughs> and mad rich people, but it's about renaissance of mm-hmm. women. And she's seeing a, a new man. It's a one night stand. And she says, listen, I'm just, not going to hide myself anymore Mm -hmm. this is who I am I'm a bit mad the Mm -hmm. phrase that she used she said I'm just I'm not going to give you time to peel back the onion and discover that I'm just going to give it to you now because I'm this age and this is who I am and that to me felt like a very powerful speech that perhaps Mm -hmm. five years ago we wouldn't have seen no exactly and I think it's at the other end of the scale in terms of obviously that's about the positivity and the amazingness of of this life stage but also showing the vulnerability and the impact of of menopause etc big shout out to Ulrika Johnson on Celebrity SAS Who Dares Wins. Now, you know I'm a fan of the show. (laughs) I do quite like watching it. But I'm always stunned when these celebrities... Trish, they're bigger than you. You, I couldn't push you off a boat with that backpack on. We'd never see you again. No, exactly. Straight to the bottom of the Hebridean (laughs) Sea or whatever it is, wherever they are, whichever freezing cold place they are. But I'm so stunned because they know what it entails, how brutal and cold and cruel and awful it is, yet they still kind of put themselves up for it because we haven't seen a lot of Ulrika so for her to put herself up for that I was quite stunned and also because she's a tiny 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 person and you just sort of think oh but anyway she kind of got very emotional when these she's been grilled by those big scary men about her psychological state which they do and I thought it was amazing that she was prepared to be vulnerable about aging about menopause about self-esteem as a midlife woman and the fact that she sort of you know spent these years bringing up her family and now she's kind of lost her way and I just thought that was amazing and she went on to to do this task where she had to go in a room full of cs gas and release hostage and she was the best out of all of them it was just so amazing to see that. we've all so... been into teenagers bedrooms and release <laughs> pets held hostage in the most filthy smelling yes, exactly. disgusting but she said i'm lost didn't she and i yes. think that's probably a thing we feel the most in midlife not lost in a bad way sometimes just lost because we don't know who we are anymore because everything is -hmm. is transitioning and changing into something else and I think being able to say I'm lost out loud and having many women thinking I'm I'm not alone then I'm I'm not the only person who feels like this is incredibly Mm -hmm. powerful I mean aging and acknowledging aging is a privilege isn't it it's not a problem Mm -hmm. for us as women to age it's a privilege to age it's how we make the most of it and this is giving us a new language and a new way of viewing things as yes. well and I you know I'm really glad it's out there because I want my daughters to see this yeah um, yeah you know, exactly. so that they are. that's what they say in the home but you want to be able to see it elsewhere you know yeah it's really important now there is one thing I think feel like I have to slightly take you to task on this Lorraine because a oh, few months ago in Culture Club you recommended Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar I've, yes do you remember <laughs> Do I do, and I did which see, it, is, see it, but I have forgotten most of it. Which is stuff. about midlife women, and it's these two. It's Kristen Wiig and Annie oh, Mumaloa. Anyway, they're these kind of two kooky characters. You failed to mention the fact that they're, the best person in their life is called Trish. You forgot that scene, no, didn't I, you? I, yes. <laughs> well, I might have done, and I think maybe oh. Amanda, our producer, cut Oh, maybe I'll blame her. what happens when we blow smoke yes, up when- your- <laughs> When in doubt, blame Amanda. But basically, they have this long chat on the plane going to Florida. Oh, yes. How someone called Trish is obviously the perfect 
because yeah. they would have their act together, they'd be a brilliant friend, etc., etc. And at the end of the movie, when they're sort of stranded in the middle of the ocean, it's a very yeah. silly movie if anybody hasn't seen it, very funny. Trish emerges as a as a mermaid and rescues them. The perfect Trish. The perfect Trish. And she is played by this country singer, national treasure, no less, called Reba McIntyre. So I think, you know, when in doubt, just find yourself a Trish. But you know what happened the other day, don't you? We found a Trish, didn't we? I accidentally emailed (laughs) a Trish Halpin. (laughs) And it wasn't you. It was another Trish Halpin who worked for a massive makeup company in In New New York. York who emailed back and said, I think this is meant for another Trish. And then I was thinking, maybe she's better Trish. I don't know. Oh, how dare you? (laughs) But I enjoyed this little chat, Lorraine. And we're going to be taking this forward, aren't we, into the next episodes of the podcast in which we're going to be discussing the lives and the secret lives of midlife or women we know. We'll be telling their stories, whether they're famous, anonymous, as we go through the series. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's guest is Sarah Brown, a passionate campaigner for girls and women. Sarah is founder and chair of the children's charity Their World and executive chair of the Global Business Coalition for Education. She has been married to former Prime Minister Gordon Brown since 2000 when he was then Chancellor of the Exchequer and they moved into number 10 Downing Street in 2007. For three years, she had to navigate a role she described as having no exact status, no official position, masses of conflicting expectations both internally and externally, and that at any moment, a great mistake will be made by me. Yet she did so with integrity, compassion and grit while pioneering using social media and government. And she has now amassed more than a million followers on Twitter, all of which she puts to good use to promote ending the global education crisis, especially for refugees and children affected by emergencies and conflict, as well as the health of pregnant women and newborns, an issue she has championed since tragically losing her first child, Jennifer, at just 10 days old. Now 57, Sarah is mum to teenagers Fraser and John and lives in London and Scotland. Both Lorraine and I have known and worked with Sarah on various projects over many years. So full disclosure here, we are both huge fans. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Sarah. Thank you. It's a real joy to be here. I've listened to your podcast a lot on my coastal path walks. We are very flattered. That is fantastic. But listen, we're talking to you in your home in Scotland. How is your day going? Because we'd love to know what a typical day in the life of Sarah Brown is like. Well, I guess that we all changed tack during lockdown and adapted. I feel like I have more routine now than I did before. And there's certainly a lot less travel. But my normal day is everyone goes in the household, goes in different directions. I've got one off to school, one off to a a gap year job. Gordon goes to the top of the house and I head to my office at the other end, other side of the house. Given the high profile work that both you and Gordon do on the global stage, what are the differences would you say between the public Sarah in London and the midlife Sarah who walks through the door back home in Fife? I don't know that I see much of a difference. I mean, probably a bit more makeup and I brush my hair when I'm out and about, but but I don't ever feel like I'm a different person um, doing things in a different way. And I've never felt that all through my life. What I have had to do is kind of get to grips on the public side with that sort of confidence you have to have. And when you're suddenly a bit more visible and needing to speak up for things. And I've learned to do that more and more over the years. 
but daily life doesn't feel very different. All the kind of meetings and conversations and, and work comes right through our front door at the moment. So, yeah, we've always had a house that's been a bit Piccadilly Circus with people swirling through it. And everyone can find you anyway in, in this new digital world, can't they? Everyone knows <laughs> they where we are. can get to you. Yeah, they know where you receive are. letters that literally go, <laughs> Gordon is there around Scotland and they're like, <laughs> Brilliant. As a mother of teenagers like us, you're probably very familiar with the wet towels on the floors. What have been the joys of parenting teens for you? And what have been the challenges, would you say? The absolute joy is is your teenagers as people. I mean, you know, you get to know them right from when they're tiny wee. And it I've always said it just gets better and better because as they emerge, who they are, how you engage with them is the absolute joy of it. And the kind of dynamic of a family together as well, I think. But the challenges are every time they hit stresses, strains, moments of anxiety, stumbles at school, you know, the worry is always goes through the roof, really, because you're at each stage, you're doing it for the first time. Um as well and figuring it out so thank goodness there's a wealth of advice out there um and certainly conversations that you're having with different speakers are really helpful you can kind of pick up something probably from nearly everyone you invite on where you think oh that, that's a good point or oh, there's something i can pick out of that but we're all of us making it up as we go along and yeah. figuring it out but yeah the, the absolute highlight is the humans themselves you know the teens such a privilege isn't it I think my biggest learning is being able to say let me think about that every time I'm asked one of their mad questions <laughs> which I found really helpful now it must be coming up to the 20th anniversary of the death of your first child Jennifer she was just 10 days old and I listened to your interview on the grief cast podcast which was really moving Carrie, and yeah. really inspirational actually but Jennifer has been in many ways the inspiration for the work that you do now that kind of the life-saving work actually that you do now and you've talked about how grief never leaves you but you have adapted around it just for our listeners who've been through similar things because you have those moments don't you when it kind of hits you and then it drifts and then it comes to ebbs and flows just what's your kind of advice around that and how has your thinking changed over the years dealing with that grief and that emotion well it is nearly 20 years since Jennifer was born and you know she arrived early she was very vulnerable we knew very quickly that we wouldn't be able to keep her very long and so that time with her was extraordinarily precious and I've always made sure that I hold on to all the memories I have of that Living with a grief, it just knocks you sideways and you think you're never going to be able to recover from it. And the truth is you never are the same again. But for me, understanding that I didn't have to be the same again mm-hmm. was a moment I could get back on my feet and keep moving. And of course, I've drawn on it as not necessarily inspiration, but as a point of understanding, you know, frustrations when you see things that need to be done or could be done better or whether it's in the health field or or more broadly for you know children who are suffering in lots of different areas so I have drawn on it in that way but really our time with Jennifer was just very very precious for us and it is what it is you know it's a very short period of time that lives with us always. And um, as you say, it kind of it's it's led to other things for you in in terms of your focus on maternal health, newborns, and your focus on girls, girls in education. Mm. So you started their world in two thousand and two with the aim of giving children across the world the best start in life. What for you have been the charity's most significant achievements? Do you think in that time? Oh, it's a, it's a big question because um, in twenty years we've packed in quite a lot. I think if I go back to those very early days. I'm very proud of those achievements with small projects. We're working in the UK and we wanted to see what the ideas were that midwives and nurses and community workers were having rather than just always the doctors and the scientists. So while the Jennifer Brown Research Lab has grown with the high-end science, I'm really proud of some of those community projects that I can see still working today. But one of the ideas that a midwife brought to us was for a granny school where they she was working with very vulnerable young mums, teenagers and young and with sometimes with quite complicated issues of their own. And so the soon to be grandmas might have been young mums themselves, might not have been as knowledgeable about their own parenting first time round. The idea was to start a granny school. It just took off and it was such a mixture of different people from all different walks of life. Um, who wanted to just come and get that refresher. So that was a really good start. But if you scroll forward to now, I think of 
us getting together 11 million signatures from people around the world to support a push to get education funded in humanitarian crises. And, you know, just this year, we've been working on a breakthrough in the Greek islands so that education is there and funded for refugees landing on those islands, because we're learning more and more that traumatized young children, if they can settle within days into a normality that gives them a schoolroom and some learning and trauma support will have a much better outcome as the years scroll forward. So that's been a big win for this year. And you were telling us about some other um, of the latest initiatives recently about the global youth ambassadors and this, the school packs that you're doing, which is something that our kids can, our listeners' kids can get involved with. Do you want to just tell us a bit about those and how they work? We started in the UK, but we've grown in recent years so that we have this huge international reach and particularly looking at global education, because the scale of it is that, you know, even before the pandemic, 260 million children were out of school. And there's such a risk uh, with the kind of return to school that there are still children who will be missing and girls particularly we think 11 million girls might miss out the chance to go back to school so we really want to get everyone behind that the global youth ambassadors at their world are a growing cohort of young people around the world aged 18 to 30 we're training them as activists supporting them in the work that they do and we've got opening applications for young people in the UK to come and join so if anyone's got a, a teen plus Um, who wants to really get involved. We've got a very good supportive nurturing program that helps safeguard them and where they're campaigning because it's a really important part of activism is to be safe and keep others safe, but to get that message out about education. And our schools packs are brand new. They're just coming out this month for the start of the school year. And therefore, younger children aged eight up to 15 And they're a resource pack, really, for teachers, parents, children themselves to learn about the sustainable development goals, about the importance of education in it, the link to things like climate change and global health. Um, And if anyone's looking for a project or a dissertation or something they've been asked to do at school and they want to do something in that area, there's a whole host of information in there that you can just download free from the Their World website. That's quite exciting, isn't it? It feels like it's positively moving yeah Um, I think people want to be involved and they want to be um, take action in something and I'm a great believer that using your voice signing those petitions I've I've been on the inside of government to see that work firsthand that when everyone's calling for something politicians have to listen but also that you want to kind of explore and learn for yourself so we're trying to provide those resources for young people we always talk about this very calmly with huge knowledge and you're great on stage about it but I mean I get very frustrated (laughs) does it not get you down when you look at still the huge inequality and injustice I mean what's happening in America with abortion all of that does that not affect you I mean we've been really devastated obviously with what's happening in Afghanistan at the time Mm -hmm. of recording this podcast but you know people in Afghanistan you've had people on your podcast, Better Angels. How do you do with that? And how do we get involved as mums now in midlife? In all honesty, I might have gone and done something else in my life rather than just see their world grow and take the actions. But you always find another thing that needs to change and another way you need to step up. And it's very hard to walk away. So I guess I think we all get down. If you're watching something devastating on the news, it just sits and lives with you for a while. But it's turning it into something that you can do. And small actions can can add into something. So whether you're finding something in your community or you're taking action to join somebody else's campaign, I think those things have an impact and have an effect. Thinking of, you know, Afghanistan now, again, I think we have to look at the people who have fled from there and see what we can do. If anyone's coming up in your local community, there's a thing where you watch something and you go, I need to do something. But I also have only so many hours in the day where I can do that. I mean, Their world is a good starting point because we send out a newsletter that we try to keep as positive as possible because there are huge numbers of good achievements and we need to always remember that and to look at where the wins are and to look at where there are wins that we don't want to go backwards as well. Because I think that's the other harsh lesson I've learned of seeing good things happen and then they don't always stay. So we can't take anything for granted. So our own actions in our neighborhood, getting together some belongings that you can share with a local charity or signing onto a petition or 
Um, we're always sharing actions, not just for our own charity, but for other groups that can make an impact as well. But there's lots of ways to kind of log in and, and check out what's happening. I'm sure one of the kind of real joys of the work you've done all throughout your life, uh, before Downing Street, during Downing Street, after now with their world, is meeting brilliant women. You must meet so many brilliant women yeah, everywhere from other first ladies like Michelle Obama, celebrities like Naomi Campbell, activists, women taking such huge risks with their lives to create change. Who has inspired you the most? And is there anything specific you've learned from them? Well, you've named two very strong examples there. And it's- <laughs> Privileged with them. And I, I love Naomi, who's a new mum herself now. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think of those G7 events where all the leaders, mostly men, would all be meeting in one room. And there was always such an opportunity for the women who came from such different professional backgrounds and had so much to offer and who'd taken time away from their work to come. And I I did use that time to really push the maternal mortality campaign at that time that you mentioned yeah. that I was involved with. But I love some of those spouses. They were such fun to to be with as well as so smart. I think my all-time favourite was Margarita Barroso, who was the um, president of the European Union's wife, because she was always so calm when everyone else was just a bit out of their depth, because you'd get a a changeover each time you went, there'd be somebody new. And Margarita was kind of so smart and so refined and so cultured and yet had quite a wicked sense of humour. So we did all kinds of visits together. We went on a refugee camp visit in the middle of Italy. I don't know if you remember, there was an earthquake there quite a while ago. Yeah, We turned up in this um, uh, earthquake visit where we put on our kind of sensible shoes and our go for it to find George Clooney and uh, Bill Murray had beaten us to it on the celebrity oh visit <laughs> and there we were climbing around the rubble and talking to people who've had their homes down where all you're trying to do is you're in the kind of celebrity Hollywood you know orbit it's quite extraordinary meeting all those women but there's also yeah I'm guessing in your personal life lots of lovely women because there's a lovely picture in your book of your mum and um, auntie Doreen oh, auntie Doreen yeah my mum's big sister <laughs> It's the memoir behind the black door. So who are those women that inspired you in your personal life? Well, my mum, Pauline, is extraordinary. And her her big sister, Doreen, who, you know, I'm not sure they got the best of names, but they've done the best with it in their lives. (laughs) Now, of course, Dr. Pauline McCauley and Dr. Doreen Boyce, because they both went on to get kind of highly eminent PhDs and and have great careers in leading organisations. My mum was a teacher and became a head teacher and social anthropologist. And my auntie Doreen was led a university and then led a big foundation in the States. Those two are very lifelong learners, I would say. Like even when we did a little yeah. family Zoom the other day, they're full of their kind of current projects. My mum's on a big quilting project with prisoners in the UK and Auntie Doreen's working on her next group novel with her little group in her nursing home, retirement home in America that um, I do think she might have predated Richard Osman with the who done it in the retirement community. <laughs> I mean, that's so much energy, isn't it, to have? Do you not feel yes, And they're in their mid-80s now. So yeah, I feel like I'm just starting. You've got it in, in the genes, I think. It's there, think so, isn't yeah. it? For sure, with Doreen and Pauline. Now, back in 2007, obviously an incredibly significant year for you because it was when you moved into 10 Downing Street with Gordon. I mean, it must have turned your life upside down. You'd given up a successful career in PR and business to serve alongside him. And you were very much a person who worked behind the scenes to going, having this huge but unofficial profile and platform. I mean, how did you adapt to that? And did you have a choice? Was there a choice? Well, I've always said that everyone has that choice. And I mm. think, you know, the spouses reserve the right to do as much or as little as they like. Mm. And you've seen spouses take a much quieter role because they're juggling family or their own work or other things. I did have very young children, you know, one just starting primary school and the other one toddling around, you know, making his presence felt. But it was just the kind of privilege I think for me of being there and when everyone was very busy we were there during the time of the global financial crisis Mm -hmm. and I still felt that you're in this public building that has no public access it's so important to everybody Mm -hmm. most extraordinary decisions that affect people's lives are made there and yet there's a massive set of gates and a huge set of security and police at the front of it so I spent a lot of time just working out how to get as many different groups of people through that black door so that they would have that chance to be there but also alongside that came the responsibility where everyone would say oh at this gathering why don't you stand up and say a few words and you think no I really don't do that (laughs) Um, and I found that really tough at the beginning and I've said this before but the very first 
public speech I gave, I was so nervous. I spoke, but I'd forgotten to breathe. And at the end of it, I fainted oh, cold. Oh, and um, and it's all been upwards from there. I've never done anything so appalling <laughs> since. But it, it was just the learning process to do something when you're in the public eye is really tough. Um, and I was watching this year through the Olympics and Paralympics, Wimbledon, where you saw these hugely talented young athletes just have to kind of pull away because they just couldn't cope with that kind yes, of moment. Yes. I was very sympathetic to that in my own way. I'm not thinking yeah. Wimbledon standards, but you just think, I know what that is, where you suddenly go, I have to do all this in public and I'm not quite ready yes. to do and all of that. Of on that getting it stage. wrong, getting it wrong or saying the wrong thing or slipping up. I mean, and there also, is no. You do have to get your head to catch up with the rest of your life. You know, you have to get to the point where you're going, I can stand up and do this. I just need to speak as who I am and find my voice for this. And then I'll be up and running. But until you get to that point, it's really hard. Does it feel less stressful now then? Because you don't. Have I wouldn't to do mind that what I much. spoke at now. I just I could do anything, anywhere, anytime. <laughs> wouldn't bother me. But then maybe I'm not in the limelight quite as much either. So maybe a lot of that pressure's away from me. Yeah. And over the time since since those days, you've come to this point we call midlife. For Trish and I, which is why we started the podcast, it was a bit of a shock. <laughs> The whole menopause, perimenopause, the feeling tremendously overwhelmed and, you know, we're in very big jobs trying to manage a family. And, you know, we hear this consistently from everybody on our Facebook group, all the women we've talked to on the show. So tell me a bit about your midlife journey. Where are you now and how has it been? Well, I'm a bit older than both of you and, it, I, you know, no one really was talking to you or flagging it or, oh. and you're saying the same thing, you know, 10 years younger than me. There was just the beginnings of conversations around mental health. So that was starting to help across the board. And I remember being at a couple of the meetings that came in, there was one on adults with autism where that was the very first time they were starting to think about that it was like it was the beginnings of lots of things yeah. of how to put in different support for different groups of people I think it kind of loops back around to that thing of you know asking me would I mind public speaking now it's kind of you do reach a point in midlife where you go for the kind of I really don't mind if I embarrass my children anymore I really don't mind if mm. I kind of stand up for what I'm going to say there is a kind of fearlessness that yeah. I appreciate about midlife and for me I entered it, you know, oblivious to the fact that it might be coming down the track. And any time it ever came up in conversation, I think, well, I'm nailing it. I'm one of the lucky ones. I'm, you know, I haven't got the hot flushes. I haven't got the night sweats. Nailed that. But I look back on it and I think, actually, I think I operated with sort of stress as a default setting. So some of the things coming into it were almost certainly that, not just me having a busy day, but also because I didn't have some of those traditional symptoms I wasn't really looking for what the other ones were. And I went through a period of two years of having terrible joint pain, particularly my knees. And I did all the kind of things that a bloke would do, which is blame it on the fact that you did running when you were younger or like you just sort of invent reasons why that's happening and wasted an awful lot of the National Health Service's time with checks and scans and an MRI and everything. And it was only when I was reading something of Dr. Louise Newsom's where I suddenly spotted in the list of symptoms joint pain. And you think, okay. Maybe that's worth investigating. And then it took a bit longer to get to it. But sure enough, that seems to have been the solution. Yeah, it seems mm. to have been hormonally related. And I hear this over and over again. So I just consider it sort of my job now to pay it forwards and kind of yeah. keep providing menopause charity information to anyone that happens mm. to mention anything that sounds like a symptom. And did you ever talk to Pauline and Doreen about it? Was it, it sort of just didn't Not, yeah, it would be yeah. Pauline, my mother. <laughs> no, no, yes, a little bit. But again, I think, you know, because it happened to them years earlier when people weren't talking to them mm. about it, and they're both very can-do people. So when you don't experience huge symptoms, you're sometimes not noticing any of them or, or discounting mm. them when you shouldn't. And did you talk to Gordon about it? Because women don't talk to their husbands about it. I think the next generation will. I think millennials yeah. will or their partners. Gordon's very good on all the things we've been through so much together, you know, yeah. with our family that we'll have conversations about everything, really. So one of the things that we find in midlife that really gets us through and really is, somebody described it actually as being your oxygen is friends. Isn't it, Lorraine? Yeah, I don't I haven't got any tricks. Uh <laughs> But do you get to spend much time with friends in this kind of quite 
busy global life that you lead and and what if so what kind of things do you do together I've always had a kind of really great group of friends um, mostly women friends but not exclusively and I had a couple of guys in there I mean I, I'm still friends with friends from my school days the people that I work with that we overlap as friends a lot too yeah somehow anyone that knows me ends up getting drawn into doing something for their world one way or another too in Downing Street because we could come and go from the back door you know you'd arrange an evening when you thought it was a bit quieter and have people come in and have a bit of fun but even now during lockdown it's been really vital to kind of make Mm. sure there's some regular connections and um yeah, I have a couple of kind of regular Zooms that come up. Well, Lorraine knows I'm good friends with Kathy Lett and with Arabella Weir. Mm-hmm. And we've had a kind of trio just doing a kind of fortnightly Zoom together where you can just be as irreverent you want and say what you want and moan as much as you want. Mm-hmm. And the basic rule is, you know, what's said on the Zoom stays in the Zoom, you know? <laughs> well, you did give me some very good advice with regard to Kathy Lett, that small antipodean. Never go on a walk with Kathy, you said, because Kathy lives near me and she rang me and said, I'll take you on a walk. Honestly, I might as well have run a marathon. It was a dire speed dire speed I couldn't (laughs) keep up we did the entire Fife coastal path walk near I live there's a beautiful walk that starts near where I am goes all the way around the Fife coastline and ends up at just past St Andrews Kathy was one of the great instigators going let's do it we'll do it as a fundraiser for their world which she brought her uh, her short friend Sandy Togsvig and Debbie came along and Arabella was there and we had to invent special extra loops for Kathy just so that she could (laughs) charge off so we would walk the straight line and she would kind of do a quick lap round you know an extra lap round a village or a beach or something but yeah no she's a mighty fast walker and yeah it's it's like a superhero skill Mm. it's absolutely ridiculous Mm -hmm. i think that is her superpower yeah well that and and making me laugh yeah yeah she's very funny now the other thing that we always ask our lovely midlife guests is how to rest because it's mm. really important resting. It's good role modeling. I say to my children when I'm resting, I'm role modeling resting for you. What's your rest and relaxation? What do you do? Rest and relaxation. I, I wouldn't say I'm brilliant. I, I, do, I mean, I read or I'll watch something, but or I natter on the phone. I might have a brother that lives in Los Angeles and we can literally stay on the phone for about two hours at a time. And because I can phone him so much later, if everyone else yeah. has disappeared the room, gone to bed, I'll do that. But I do see exercise as relaxation. I am. I know you're a yoga person, but I am so wedded to Pilates and I've done that for more than 20 years. And one of the great bonuses of Zoom was I'd not been able to train with my London Pilates teacher, mm. Sean, for you know long, long time, which because I'd moved up here after 2010. But actually, because Zoom became a thing and connecting up, I've actually been able to do classes there again, which I've really loved. But also strength at this age, I think, is important. It's so really I have, important. Yeah, I do work with another trainer on lifting those weights. <laughs> do you like that, though? I find it a bit of a chore, frankly. Well, because I, I like my trainer, experience. I like it. If I was doing up my own, not so much. No. <laughs> yeah. But I think, you know, there's so many great little videos or little classes or those sort of things to join. I think, you know, doing it solo is... Is, yeah a bit tough awesome. you're at a point in life the boys are growing up you're 57 Gordon is, is still working as UN special envoy isn't he for global education he's 70 do you think about what's next are you thinking we're going into a next stage of life or is it just just carry on and see what the future holds well I think for all of us on our family things are changing you know I've got mm. one going off to university one going about to go into the kind of grind of exam years and still a kind of lot of connection to his football club and things which requires seems to require being in lots of different places mm-hmm. gordon's got the role with the un um he's very very committed at the moment to a vaccines campaign he's very mm-hmm. concerned about the fact that africa has mm-hmm. no vaccines while we're trying to hustle for our you know our third mm-hmm. vaccine and the kind of inequality of that so that's somewhere where he's putting an engine and i think he'll always have something he was thrilled to get a book this year into the times bestseller list so he's already planning another one but i think gordon just has that energy to kind of keep going and i've not got to the end of my to-do list by a long way so i think it's seeing family out one door caring for an older generation Mm -hmm. and yeah being as busy as you can in between no slowing up somehow (laughs) you have a lot of fun along the way with all your friends as well so yeah exactly yeah fantastic well listen thank you so much for coming on to postcards from midlife no it's a treat uh, to be on here excellent might be the only one i don't listen to (laughs) 
but that was that was so interesting and just interesting to hear about your life as it was as it is now and and most importantly that their world projects and campaigns and we'll be putting all of that onto the Facebook group so everybody can see that well thank you and enjoy thank the rest you. of your day nice to talk thank to you, you both Sarah. welcome to how to win at midlife the part of postcards from midlife where we offer you practical advice and guidance on a specific issue facing women in midlife now we've tackled everything here from best genes to buys you change shape to hair removers we love but this week trish and i will be taking a new look at how to get a more fulfilling night's rest, won't we, Trish? Yes, we will, because so many of you on our private Facebook group report issues with getting a good night's sleep, and it can be really disrupted during all those hormonal fluctuations during menopause and perimenopause. And in fact, almost 50% of women have problems sleeping in midlife. So we both went through this, so we feel your pain. Um, But for some helpful tips, we did do a really good podcast with Catherine Pinkham of the Insomnia Clinic. So if you want to go a bit more into sleep if you're inspired by this episode do go back and look at that episode today though we're going to look at two new ways of getting sleep so trish tell me your sleep journey because now that you're on hrt you don't get the night sweats no. or the flushes but you do still have a few sleep niggles don't well you? do you know what i have been since i started taking hrt last year because progesterone tablet which you take before bed is, yeah. is calming and has a sedative effect and i nod off quickly and actually i do sleep really well sometimes i wake up i get back to sleep but recently i had a, a kind of trouble getting to sleep which i never normally do and i found it actually quite distressing because i started panicking and thinking oh my god is this it now am I going to have like bad sleep again for six months or whatever and I thought I need to do something about it and you know there's a lot as well as menopause in in our 50s you know your ability to produce melatonin the sleep hormone drops on slow so you know there are other issues as well anyway I thought oh I'll just plug in an audio book and see if that will help me might help block out snoring from neil as well that might be quite nice. one of your many dead partners yeah <laughs> yes Seven next now, to you. Yes. i came across one called sleep this little thing on yeah. uh, and it was a free one on order and i thought oh i'll just listen to that and i re- suddenly realized it was that whispering thing that whispering you know how I feel about whispering. well it's called asmr i didn't know what asmr meant but then yeah mm. so i started hearing all this sort of rustling and whispering and anyway asmr stands for autonomous <laughs> sensory meridian response and it's essentially a relaxing sedative sensation that begins in the scalp and moves down the body apparently not everybody experiences but it's also called brain massage it can be triggered by sounds like whispers stop it sort of different accents or little crackles and things um, and it's supposed to be similar to the fluxation you get from massage but nobody has to be touching you can you imagine that free massage that's quite nice isn't yeah, it anyone uh, touching me like so it. if you are the sort of person who likes someone playing with your hair is that oh. you Lorraine I do like that yeah well you yeah. would probably like this because apparently if you like people touching your head and touching your hair anyway so this story I was ridiculous to. Trish is all I'm saying carry on <laughs> Well, they've only started researching it since yeah. 2010, so there's not a huge amount of science behind it, but they're beginning to do it. Anyway, the story I listened to was called The Mother, and it seemed really weird and creepy at first because the, the voice... Stop whispering, will you? <laughs> I'm your mother, and I'm going to be looking after you. And I was no. like, oh, oh, I can see our producer, Amanda, she is literally like having a conniption it's about with the opposite thing with and me. It's and gonna, it gets worse, right, because she's going to wash your hair for you. And it's all whispering. You hear the noises of her pouring Did it water. work for you? Well, it did. Can I just say, oh. I got beyond the creepy and then I found it really calming and really made me feel quite cocooned and safe. And there was something about this mother looking after me that was just really lovely. And I, I, I kind of guess it's a bit like a lullaby. I, no, I nodded off. Yeah. I nodded off. I oh. liked it. I liked it a lot, actually. Where can I find some of these? You can find that on Audible. Have a look on YouTube because people like visually also look Looking at people doing repetitive things can have the you same can do effect. that tapping on the head as well as a bit ASMR. Yeah. Stop it. <laughs> 
But if you don't like that, the other thing, and this is probably what I was actually looking for, but came yeah. across the ASMR instead, is bedtime stories for grown-ups. There's lots of podcasts that are these things, and basically yeah. they don't have the whispering and the crinkly, but they're intentionally boring stories, but they're very soothing, and they make you visualise happy, joyful, lovely things. Would, so you would that be to- like me listening to you talking me into how Google Drive works? That would... <laughs> No, really long boring story that your, will send me to sleep your stress for it's made you stress <laughs> set the old adrenal glands going that one i think okay well which ones am i one. listening to it's all about finding a voice that you like and i found one nothing much happens it's called by uh, a woman called Catherine nicolai and she's actually american which i didn't think i was going to like but she's got a really lovely voice and she's just describing these lovely relaxing images of boats floating on water and sunlight and, and stuff like that and that's nothing much happens.com so you can have a look at that and then there's a british voice i liked thomas jones whoever you are on a podcast called get sleepy and he sort of tells this story of a deer in the night and it's sort of linked to this ancient legend from india about a deer in search of an elusive scent no less it's just really calming this is a section of the show marion our favorite Marion won't like this. Won't like at all. She's the no. one that wrote, what is this rubbish yes. to us on email, yes. isn't she? But she I is. do think you've got a point. I think there are. Okay. I um, think you can annoy Marion now by wishing on about oh, the I'm, thing that you found. What I've did you, what, bana- what banalities, as Marion would say, <laughs> Marianne, would you like to I've share? I've got a lot of interesting banality here. Now, before I went on HRT, I did have terrible night sweats and I used to have diabolical night terrors where I would sit up screaming and yelling I mean it just came out of the blue but I'm better now because I went on HRT but I do have the odd fitful night and so many women have asked about sleep so I was chatting this week to Claire Cusack who is otherwise known as the life healer now she was Mm -hmm. on Elizabeth Day's Instagram and they were she's been treating Elizabeth Day as a healer she's a shiatsu practitioner but she's got 20 years of healing here and in LA and she said that recently she'd been seeing a lot more midlife women who were going through this hormonal chaos which throws up all sorts of spiritual energy problems um, as you age now what struck me when I was listening to her Instagram live with Elizabeth is this element of sitting with the void so Mm -hmm. before you go to sleep or in order to get sleep so finding a place of neutrality where we can view what's going on inside our heads and untangle our problems and our emotions and if you untangle those things Mm -hmm then you're going to get a better night's sleep, basically. Now, she's 48, Claire, so she's going through the hormonal chaos. And she calls sleep a chapter in the soul's existence. Um, But what she was saying to me, which is really interesting, is to get better sleep, we need to stop focusing on actual going to bed, shutting your eyes and getting eight hours of sleep, and maybe being asleep while you are awake. And she calls it... (laughs) Hang on, hang on, hang on. I know that you dial back, dial back. How can you be asleep while I'm awake? awake. (laughs) Explain when you're explaining things to me, right? Anyway, so (laughs) what she says this is really, really guided deep relaxation. So, what you do is you fall into that bit where you are falling asleep. Yes, that's but you're awake. Now, the reason that you can do it as in in a guided way, as almost as meditation, is often when we sleep, particularly because of all these hormones that are happening um, during midlife, which is a bit like a volcano eruption, we are a bit in fight or flight mode Mm -hmm. uh, anyway when we sleep. But if you were to do what I have learned from her, which is yoga nidra, nidra means sleep, um, that puts you into a sort of semi-conscious state where you sit in that void, where you're looking Mm -hmm. at things and you you just listen to her so you don't get that terrible meditation thing whereas oh my god I'm trying to meditate I'm doing it all wrong someone yes. else is guiding me <laughs> but there's a lot of silences so there's a lot of thinking going on and she says a lot of clients when she's doing this with them it'd be 10 minutes half an hour whatever have lots of visions they see things they untangle things sometimes it makes people cry but it's really about being properly and fully relaxed and if you can attain that state in the day it's a lot easier to attain it during the night uh, when you want to go to sleep so she recommends yoga nidra and there's many places to do it so i'm on her website and she does a free meditation twice a day on a wednesday on Mm -hmm. her instagram and on her website as well it really unblocks what she calls trapped trauma and energy so Mm -hmm. it's really interesting she was very interesting about midlife being this hormones create fire and it's like a volcano of emotion 
solutions erupted. So you may be having therapy or felt that you've dealt with things throughout your life, but actually there's such an enormous shift in energy in midlife, mm. which is unblocking things and yeah. means that magnificent stuff is coming. Yeah. If you find that place of void where you're just observing it, not judging yes. it or criticizing it or finding compassion for yourself like you would yes. have someone else and finding stillness mm. might be so more I'm, important. I feel like I'm seeing an intersection here of mindfulness because that's what mindfulness yes. is, isn't it? It's like sitting with your thoughts, your things and just yes. sitting back and not judging it and meditation and a bit of Chinese medicine if it's about heat yeah. and all of that. Did you yeah. have a vision? Visions, no, but I did have a really, really lovely rest. I did too. Oh, uh, resting. Such love, rest. And you know, lots of women are telling us that they're having baths now. She said that's a really brilliant place yeah. to listen to this because you aren't can't possibly be in fight or flight in, in a no. bath. You're already relaxed when you get in. And it just trains your brain. So I am going to keep up with this. It heads okay. you serenity, Trish. So she is a lifehealer.com with her free guided meditation on Wednesdays. If you want science on sleep, then Matthew Walker is pretty good. He's mm-hmm. kind of a big expert on sleep. And then there is another book on Yoga Nidra, a book of rest. It's called The Book of Rest by James Reeves and Gabrielle Brown, mm-hmm. which is out and very helpful as well. So there we nice are. Thing to things. buy a friend, I would say, a stressed friend. Buy yeah. them the book of rest. I like that idea. Very good. I'm, I'm going to read you a bedtime story <laughs> at the end of this. And you can talk to me about Margot, which will help me do Okay. It. Can I do it in a whisper? No. It's nostalgia noodle time. And we're doing it with a bit of a difference this week, aren't we? We're doing a dogs yes. and cats special. Dogs and cats. Feline, canine. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Do you want to start with the dogs? Well, I find this nostalgic because on Facebook and all over the social media mm-hmm. at the moment, there's so many lovely posts of mums and dads saying goodbye to their teens going off to university leaving their bedrooms but what a lot of these pictures are are pictures of the family dog because it's the family dog that misses the teenagers the most Um, and it's the family dog that is used to bring them back more often than perhaps they would want to come when their newfound freedom is on the horizon so I was having a look back at our family dogs oh yes remembering them because my parents are mad mad dog you had Alsatians oh they love dogs love Mm -hmm. dogs all sorts of dogs we never had less than about five dogs in the house rescue dogs at any Mm -hmm. one point in the bungalow may I just say (laughs) and my first family dog was Barney Mm -hmm. after I should pop the Alsatian. We had Barney, who was half Afghan hound. You know how big and hairy they are. Yes. And half black Labrador. <laughs> oh my God. Right. Okay. Massive. That's massive. Very strange. Hairy. You never see an Afghan hound these days, do well, you? Well, the problem was he had the Afghan hound mentality and they're really silly. Oh, um, gosh. Yeah. And the Labrador's appetite. So, all oh, in all, good it combo. Was, right, it was yeah. the wrong way round. Then we had Sam, who was half Yorkshire Terrier, half Jack Russell. And the postman had to give give our uh, post to the lady next door because we couldn't <laughs> ankle biter ankle biter then we had jackson the dachshund whose mm-hmm. elbows went the wrong way so it was a very ill dachshund that we looked after oh dear <laughs> you know the little elbows put go out what is the wrong way yes. and then when our first family dog was duke your family now dog yes. yes champion yes. the wonder horse we used to call him because he was <laughs> enormous champion the wonder horse and he died when my eldest was 14 that was very mm-hmm. sad and obviously we have margot's adversary mm, the pixel welsh terrier. the barky yes. welsh terrier Barkatron, yes. i think our neighbors might shoot her out of the yes. window at some point because of all of this barking anyway i just wanted to pay tribute to the dog oh, and dogs. say i feel for you all yes. the mums and dads saying goodbye yes. are you going to talk about that cat now well, I, I will talk about cats because when you said you were doing dogs, I thought, well, we always had cats and I've always had cats. And obviously Margot, the current cat. Margot is, I have to say, defying the odds. She's 11. We've never had one that lived longer than that. Oh we, haven't got, we haven't got a good, very good track record, I realised, when careless I was kind of going cats. back. Bit careless with the cats. So Neil and I always had cats and we had our first rescue cat, Otto, squashed on the road. Second <laughs> cat, a little Persian, just... Went out one day, never saw her again. Fluff had medical traumas around the age of 10 and unfortunately died on the operation table. And the vet asked us, would we like her remains in a box? And we went, oh, okay, fine. Thousand pounds later for the cat's ashes in a little wooden oak burial box. That wasn't what we thought was going to happen. 
fun. Then we had Monty and Mimi, who Monty, Mimi squashed on the road, very sad. Monty moved out when the twins arrived, couldn't cope. And now we have the magnificent Margot. She, she's there. She's def- I'm like clinging on, defying the odds at 11. What do she you think? wants to outlive me, that's why. She does. Well, you're not coming around, is all I can say. Because we're, you know, we're at that stage. Broken a record, pet record. <laughs> yes, we have. But should we just do a quick dogs versus cats TV shows? Top yes. Cat or Hong Kong Fooey? Oh, I like Hong Kong Fooey, obviously. No, Top Cat, much better. Oh. Much better. Big up for Top Cat. Aristocats or 101 Dalmatians? 101 Dalmatians. Yeah, I'm agreeing with you on puppies. that. I'm agreeing Dalmatian with you on that. puppies, nothing but, cuter. But do you think maybe Champion the Wonder Horse <laughs> trumps the ball? <laughs> Lassie might trump them all, oh, possibly. Yes, maybe. Yeah, we often okay. do Lassie impressions. We say, oh, very good. hey, he's fallen. When Pixel's barking at us, we yeah. say, what? He's fallen down a well? <laughs> <laughs> it's like one of those sayings in the family that no one yes. knows what it means from Lassie. Or, or have you pushed them? Yeah. Well, that mad little animal <laughs> adventure... <laughs> brings us to the end of this episode of Postcards from Midlife. It's great to be back and do tune in for each new episode on Sundays. We've also been planning and plotting over the summer so that we can soon meet you all in person and have you take part in some live events and virtual festivals, which is very exciting. Um, We shall do our best not to disappoint. Marion's on the guest list. She's got (laughs) VIP front room. See you. Uh, In the meantime, until we get to meet you all later this autumn, thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed it, please tell your friends and all the midlife women you know. And remember to subscribe on your podcast provider. We would love it if you could rate and review us. That would be really, really helpful. And could you also please download your episodes so they count on our listener numbers? That would be really helpful. And don't forget to join us on our Facebook group, on Instagram or email us unless you're Marion, at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com. Goodbye. Goodbye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.